This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Mall has not one, not two, not three, count them, four new models. And speaking of new models, folks at the Sebring Sport Aviation Expo got a chance to view some new light aircraft. Also, big news coming out of Santa Monica. And finally, Basic Med, it's on track and on time. All right, David, that sounds awesome. You ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do Hangar Talk, Ian. Okay, David, so um, you mentioned it coming in. Sebring just wrapped up. It did. And overall, I think a good show. They're, they're competing now with another one, which is kind of unfortunate. But that, um, That's right. But they had good yeah. weather this year. Yeah, they did. They that's had a awesome. nice turnout. They wrapped a few other things into it this year, too. Yeah. It wasn't just airplanes. Yeah, they're starting to get a little more uh, creative, I would say, with kind of what they're offering at that show. And it really is an interesting niche. They... Um, they started the buying area last year. Yeah, um, start, did that again, and then, you, like you're saying, not just airplanes anymore. There was a lot there, just transportation in general. Yeah, and uh, and some really there's some speaking of a crossover type, you yeah, know, airplane and and automobile. We both were wowed by this one uh, this one thing called the Skyrunner. Yeah, remember seeing a picture of that? Yeah, this thing is awesome. It looks like a transformer toy, but yeah. it, it flies and it drives. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I, and actually, as we were talking about, it's like the thing that I found amazing is it drives faster than it flies, which That's is totally right. backwards. You we know? were looking at the specs on that bad yeah. boy, but it goes. Uh, it, What's it go in the air? What about, is it like forty miles an hour or something? Forty like in that? the air. Yeah. It's got a 31 miles per hour stall speed, though. Oh, that's nice. Maximum speed of 62. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's funny because I got to say these powered parachute guys. So that that's what this is. You know, it's like it's a an airfoil with uh, a little gondola on the bottom, like basically. a dune buggy. Yeah, that's big like old a, fat tires. Yeah, a bad bad dune buggy, and they're getting really creative with this because it used to be, you know, it's like a fan with a little frame and a couple of seats, but people are saying like, wow, we can actually do something with these. It's uh, pretty massive. Yeah. It's got, it looks like it's got bucket seats on it and uh, roll cage construction. Yeah. I'm impressed. So you could go flying over a dune yep. and just keep flying. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. And it's like you could touch down and skim the dunes and then take off. And yeah, that looks like great fun. 
Well, speaking of uh, flying cars and all, you know, the first, well, not the first, but one of the first flying car concepts was, was that the Molt Taylor uh, car? I've actually yeah, got a book car. on that. Yeah, yeah. The Aero car. Yeah. That, that was a kind of a neat thing. We've been waiting ever since for something to be more viable. I know. You I think this will do it? Uh, it has potential. There's a couple out there, actually, that you could really see being kind of fun, you know, toys, basically, for the for guys who have that sort of disposable income. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. The days of, are we ever going to go out to our garages and then fly to our work? You know, it's like... It might be difficult. I don't know. There, there's some challenges there. I mean, yeah. the technical challenges with air traffic control, you know, and CNBC and that kind of thing, too. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you look out the window, a lot of places there are power lines and, yeah. and traffic lights and things yeah. like that. Although, I do, I do think it's a novel concept. Yeah. On the East Coast, it's a little bit more difficult to do than maybe out West or, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, else. could you imagine that happening around D.C.? It's like, you know, when you got 5 million Ooh. people. Look out. Yeah. Or New York City. Yeah. Although I, people would love to get in a flying car and get out of that traffic. That's right. Yeah. It's like, I, but I don't know. I, maybe I'd rather be on the ground there. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. So it is a cool show. And, you know, there's um, attendance isn't real high. I mean, this is no Oshkosh. But uh, from what I've heard from folks who have gone in exhibitors, especially, they do really like it because apparently people go there and buy. That's it's a buyer show. More of a consumer show. Yeah. Where, you know, here's my wallet. I'm getting something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. so that's great. That's great. A little bit less window shopping and a little more shopping for real. Yeah. Actually, another event that we wanted to talk about is our fly-ins. Oh, yeah. This is huge. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about this a couple times in the past, and hopefully you've been to one. These are our kind of one in, we'll call them a quarter day events. Yeah. At least that was the previous flying concept. Things are changing this year. A little bit. Yep. And we just uh, recently announced the four locations and a new format. Yeah. So the four locations, uh, uh, starting April 28th and 29th, Camarillo. Mm-hmm. I'm pronounce that right. You got in it. California. You got it. And that's going to be pretty neat. Um, we're looking at the Friday being a workshop scheduled day. And it, you know, it does cost a little bit extra for the tuition. Yeah. I don't know if we want to get into that. We can. Yeah, yeah. So these are what? I, I didn't count. Number of hours. Eight hours, something like that. It's an all-day affair, basically yep. from 9 a.m. to 4. Yeah, so these are really immersive, in many cases, hands-on, you know, deep-dive sort of learning seminars. And, for instance, in Camarillo, that's probably not too far from the mountains, so yep. there'll definitely be a mountain-flying workshop. Yep, so there's, uh, there's four of them, I think, scheduled. Yeah, it's mountains, what do they call it, extremes. So it's mountains and water. Overcoming mountains and water flying in the extremes. Yep, there's one that I'm excited about, which is that hands-on maintenance. Oh, yeah, that'll be good for anyone who's uh, even a renter, but definitely for owners. Yeah, yeah, for sure. you want to do your own oil changes and stuff like that, it's like right. they'll give you the confidence. And the IFR refresh that's something that would be key for a lot of people. Yeah. That would be a great one to do, getting back to instrument proficiency. Yep, that's right. And then the last one is this um, Pilot Plus One, which is an interesting concept. And it's the name is speaks to kind of this idea of, you know, you plus your favorite flying companion, uh-huh. uh, how to make them happier and more engaged in the in the process and everything else. And But it, it goes off into ideas of where to fly and uh, things to do with your airplane. And things that could be fun. Yeah. And a new experience. Yeah. It's our whole you can fly thing. Let's, yeah. let's go somewhere and do something neat. We've got the means. We've got the vehicle. Let's do it. Yeah. So those, Very those exciting. Are, yeah, those are going to be really cool. I like that. You mentioned the cost. There is a cost for those. Everything on Saturday remains uh, free. For members. Yep. So, um, so the Saturday stuff is 105 bucks. Um, no, Friday is 105 bucks. Yeah, for oh, the, I'm sorry. For the right. seminars, Friday. the workshops. Yep. For, so the workshops are 105 bucks. A little more if you're a non-member. A little bit less if you have a spouse. Yeah. And if, <laughs> if your spouse comes, you get even more of a discount. <laughs> but you can come on Saturday. 
is yeah. what I meant to say. And Saturday remains, um, except for Rusty Pilots, which if you're a non-member, uh, there's a fee. But if you're a member, there's not. But anyway, Saturday remains free. All those safety seminars, yep. the, the things that we've come to know and love, awesome. Awesome experience. And a lot of camaraderie, too. Yeah, definitely. Lunch is involved. We'll definitely have a you know a town hall with Mark Baker. Mm-hmm. He usually updates the members on on things that people are really talking about, yep. talking and squawking about, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really neat thing to do. And if if our podcast listeners haven't been, you know the key is that these fly-ins are coming to you mm-hmm. to your neck of the woods. Yeah, we talked about uh, Camarillo. We're also going to be at Norman, Oklahoma, September eighth and ninth. Uh-huh. Then we're going over to Groton, Connecticut. I would have called it Groton. <laughs> Groton, Connecticut. You got to know. You got to know the New England way to pronounce things. Right, New England. So so it's n- like uh, you know Worcester instead of Worcester. Worcester. And, yeah. 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 And now Groton has also um, they have a nuclear submarine base up near there too. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool area. Pretty key. Yeah, it is very cool. And we're gonna wrap it up in Tampa, in Florida, right? Yep, October twenty seventh and twenty eighth. So if you're in one of those areas or nearby, definitely check it out. And so one of the reasons we're talking about it this week is registration Had is just open. Open. Yeah. Yeah. Jump so, in now. Yeah. Go on to AOPA.org. Make your plans. Yeah. And uh, if you've got a bunch of time on your hands and uh, no friends, help us volunteer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we are always looking for volunteers. And, I, and yeah. I believe that it's actually a pretty good deal if you volunteer. Yeah. You get to hang out, do the seminars as, as much as you can fit in if you're not parking planes or something. And then uh, you get the lunch, you get a shirt, you get a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. And you get to hang out with pilots. Yeah. No, I'm teasing. No, it's it's a it's a great day. It's actually being a volunteer is a lot of fun in a, in a way to kind of see kind of a little behind the scenes and to yeah. help out. So it's neat. Yeah. All right. So moving on, uh, I want to talk about I, t- I tease this a little bit in the beginning. Mall. Mall's just this can do company. They're keeping on. They're down there. They're still building the airplanes. And down there in Georgia. Yep. Yep. Down in your old neck of the woods. That's it. And so they said, well, we should you know vary the line a little bit. They're always making tweaks, and it's like. I don't know what those meetings must have been like. That's like, oh, let's do this. Oh, wait, we might as well do that. Wait, let's add a third. And no, 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 let's just do it all at once and do, go for four different variations. A quad. Here. Yeah. So um, all kinds of new stuff coming out of there. Yeah, Mall Air is out of Moultrie, uh, Georgia. And one of the famous photos that I totally remember, and I think a lot of our podcast listeners might too, is uh, is one of the malls taken off inside the hangar, and it was airborne basically right when it got outside onto the ramp. Yeah, that was, that awesome. was pretty cool. That is a great shot. Now, have you ever uh, flown one of the malls? You know, I haven't, and uh, which I'm ashamed to say because they are really cool. You don't see a ton of them on ramps, you know, but um, I will say that the for the folks I, I know who have flown them and, yeah. and have owned them, they love them. They do. They, they definitely have a really strong, loyal following, a niche, you know? Yeah. So. It's a tube and fabric design, yep. basically. And then uh, one thing that, um, that, that I noticed, it has this negative flap yeah. degree yep. thing. Yeah. So that gives you what? It makes you a little bit more faster in cruise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. So pretty interesting. It is. All right. So help me out here. So the model numbers. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, you're, you get this more than I do. I, I can't get it through my head, but so we, <laughs> I don't have it down that well. <laughs> let's, let's start slow. Uh, we'll start with the M4. M4. Um, couple which is, models. Yeah. Kind of their lower end model. So what have we got new out of the M4? We got the M4, which is 180 horsepower engine. Okay. And we got the S2. Which has two seats. Oh, okay, cool. And similarly, the S4, which yeah. has. Oh, wait, let me guess. 
Is it four seats? Got four seats. All right. So it's a 180 horsepower <laughs> O360 Lycoming. Okay, nice. With a constant speed prop. Oh, that sounds great. Quick sidebar before we get to the next model. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when I had my air coupe down in uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, a gentleman right across from me had one of the Mall 180s. Oh. Okay. And a little bit older model than this, and uh, just loved it. Cool. And See, the, the yeah. malls come with a either nose wheel or tail wheel. Yeah. So pick what you want. Yeah. It does. It, it's uh, it can get very confusing. So and, and these two these two guys are uh, start out at one hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred dollars, which oh, is wow. actually I think it's a good price. It's not that bad. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, that's Certainly. that's very true. Yeah, because the Cessna is like one seventy two. It's like what three hundred grand. Yeah, and, and then some. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It really is. So then their higher-end models, the 9s. The M9. The M9. Two new versions of those. This confused me a little bit, too. Okay. <laughs> so, we'll work through it together. So we got the M9-235. Okay. And now that has a 235-horsepower uh, a engine. Yep. Clearly. Yep. And that is... Fuel-injected. It has been traditionally. Fuel-injected up until now. Yeah. And now it could be available as a carbureted version. Oh, okay. So wait a second. Wait, so, I'm confused. Yeah, so you had... Okay, so you could have a fuel-injected version. Why would you want a carbureted version? It's like you got this big you know, this big motor. It's like, why would you want to go back technology-wise and add the carburetor? Ah, well, I guess you'd want to have the carbureted version if you wanted automobile gas. Oh. You could put automobile gas in okay. that bad boy if you needed to. And, and these planes are a lot of times in the bush. Yeah. So if you really uh, were using it for that purpose, and okay. you, you know didn't have fuel nearby, that could be helpful. Okay, that so makes it's got sense. The I guess I, the O five forty, not the IO, but the O five forty. Okay. For that version. All right. And okay. you just mentioned a minute ago the IO five forty. Yeah. Still available in a two hundred sixty horsepower version, and that's the M nine two sixty. Okay. I got it. So it's not so bad. All we right. Worked it out. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned the two hundred grand, and it it does seem you know relatively reasonable. And it got me thinking about, I saw a lot when this mall came out about price. You yeah. know, people were really impressed. They said, oh my gosh, a, a new, you know, certified airplane, not an LSA. Right. Uh, below 200, less than 200,000. And so I started thinking about just some of the other kind of models that are out there and yeah. who are they competing against and, and what can you buy for that money? And it's like, well, you can't get a Skyhawk. Not now. Yeah. You can't get an Archer or a Warrior. No. But you know, there is, there is another company. There's a few, but there is one company in particular that's making less expensive models. American Champion. They are cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Satabrias and Decathlons. And I love that line. Yeah. They make great stuff. You know, the old Champ, the 7, well, what was the 7AC, I think now that's the 7EC because it's electric, but you know, the, the basic, Champ. basic model Champ. Yeah. The old Champ. Yeah. You can actually order a Champ from you, American Champion. Right now, brand new. Yeah. They'll build you a Champ. I like it. Yeah. It's so cool. It's like, so you love the Champ, but you got to have new. Well, go to American Champion. They'll build one for you. 133 grand. That is not a bad deal at all whatsoever. Yeah. I like that. For yeah. an aircraft, for a new aircraft. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, of course. Relatively speaking, that's pretty darn good. It is. And so you think, okay, well, that's a champ. I mean, you know, it's like I want something a little more. Well, you go into the Satabria line and you're talking, you know, like 150 horse engines, that sort of thing. I mean, real. A go and place plane. Yeah. Honest airplanes. So the Adventure. The 7GCAA, uh -huh. which is an 0320 engine, 160 horse. Um, you're talking aerobatic, so you can go out and have some fun. And that engine is real common. Yep. People know how to work in that. Yep. Yeah. 155 grand. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty strong. Yeah. Compared to three or $400,000 for something else, that's not as fun. Yeah. And these planes are capable of going into the back country. Yep. You can put big tires on them, right? Mm -hmm. 
I love it. So I, now you've the, been, the deals spent some there. time in those kind of planes, haven't you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they're great fun. Uh, yeah, I love those. They're they're you know, uh, you know the champ is sort of uh, the champ, and then uh, certainly the the I, I should say the decathlons and the stabrias. It's like they're everybody's kind of first aerobatic airplane yeah and so you have kind of a soft spot for them and i did some training some spin training with dave hirschman here yeah in one of those super decathlons yeah back in atlanta and it was just so much fun it is and eye-opening and it was for a pilot i mean it was enlightening to me yeah to know how to do that and that was a perfect plane for that too it really is because it you know that that's the thing it's like you're to get into an extra or a really high energy aerobat i mean they're a little intimidating if you're not used to them you know and they're they're purpose-built just to go out there and, you know, pull a bunch of G's. Yeah. But uh, but these Cetabrias and, and Decathlons, they feel like regular airplanes. They feel a little bit more comfortable, yeah. I think, for the average pilot. Yeah. I think you have to be a pilot's pilot to handle an extra or something yeah. of that nature. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm this is a, that's a still pretty good value. You know, I was looking on the used market for Decathlons for a while and yeah. Cetabrias and all. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe one day. There you go. <laughs> I want to ride if you get one. Okay, you got it, man. <laughs> Um, so going into uh, more serious stuff, Santa Monica. There is a lot to digest here. Um, we've talked about, you know, some of the, boy, in, in comparison, smaller stuff that's come out in the past couple of weeks about Santa Monica with leases and stuff like that. But right. um, we were all, uh, well, you and I at least, were, were sort of blindsided a, a couple weekends ago uh, when the FAA said, hey, we came to an agreement. We figured this out. Yep. Hands off. We're going to pitch this and we're going to keep it open until December 31st, 2028. Yeah. It's pretty good. For aviators already there, that's a good deal. You would think, well, it's not the best deal. Yeah. We would, would love to have it with no strings attached. Yeah. Open forever. Right. But, uh, yeah, um, Administrator Huerta put a, I guess the FAA put a note out on that Saturday that they had reached an agreement in, in the uh, saga as the Santa Monica Municipal Airport turns. Yeah. <laughs> so, um you know, one thing that we found out since this agreement came out, and we'll get into the details in a second, but it's like nobody's happy. Um, I don't think we're entirely happy with this. No. Um, I know that the city is not entirely happy. I don't think the FAA is entirely happy. And so I think, you know, this is definitely not the last word. Right. But uh, it, it, it is kind of interesting. I mean, it's this is an unusual agreement. Um, and the administrator, Tom Haynes, interviewed him, and yeah. he had some really interesting things to say about Essentially, why it came about and and how he did, and it was a lot of legal wrangling behind the scenes. You know, things that you and I didn't really—I mean, I wasn't really plugged into stuff that happened in the 1950s. Yeah, with particular agreements and contracts and all. But one thing the administrator said um, when he talked to Tom was he said that this was a fair deal. Yeah, a fair, and he used that word fair deal. Yeah. So you know, it's not the best deal. Yeah. But it's a fair deal for now. So I think a lot of people saw the FAA basically as kind of giving in. And so uh, in essence, what the deal does is it it requires the city to keep the airport open, like you said, through 2028, at which point they can apply to close it. So it's not automatic that right. it will close, but they can apply. In the meantime, they're allowed to shorten the runway to 3,500 feet. From about 5,000 feet. Yeah, which as we know, it's like jets see ya. They're Got, gone. That's, that's, that's probably the what reason yeah. why they have that going on. Yeah. Sure. And so, you know, many people um, feel that the FAA basically walked back on on the obligation that that Santa Monica accepted the airport, the city back, like you mentioned, in, uh, back in the day. They took the money. Yep. And uh, <laughs> and at the time, uh, they took the land, and that was supposed to be in perpetuity. Now, the administrator had to really, essentially, what he said was, uh, you know, without saying it, you know, straight up, 
essentially was like, well, we were afraid we were going to lose in court and they were going to close it tomorrow. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. It really did. So he, he went for what, what could uh, best be described as a middle-of-the-road option, I guess. Yeah. And you're right. It didn't satisfy either party. Yeah. Right now, the city is obligated to keep the place open, keep the airport open, and service it with FBO, you know, service the FBOs with fuel, yep. and make sure the infrastructure stays the way it is. And the uh, people that are there, they've at least they've got you know twelve years or so to figure out what's the next move. Yeah, some and amount of certainty there. There's a lot of flight training going on at that airport. Yeah, it's and very busy. It's a cool place because they also have a pretty neat restaurant mm-hmm. right next to the field, mm-hmm. and they have a, like a performing arts center and a hangar. Yeah. So it's not just an airport with a runway and a landing strip. It's just actually a real vibrant airport community there. Yeah, and I think we're we're going to hear a lot more as we go forward. Is you know, my sense is even though the city says, okay, yeah, we'll knock it off, this whole death by a thousand cuts thing, it's like, fine, we'll keep it open and, you know, shorten the runway. It's like, I don't see that happening. I, I think they're they're going to continue to, you know, sort of work behind the scenes to try and push people out even earlier. But so, the, you know. The I, administrator said that then when he talked to Tom, he, he made a point of saying that the city is supposed to keep those services open. Yeah, in so. good faith and everything else. But I, you know. History has shown otherwise, right? Well, what so. would happen if they did try to start pulling you know, some of that away? That's a good question. I mean, I, I suppose theoretically they could go back to court um, for specific aspects of that. Because they so. would be, again, reneging on their yeah, agreement. Yeah, on the agreement. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, All right. Know. We'll keep an eye on Santa Monica. I bet we'll have something to talk about next podcast. Yeah, probably. Um, okay, the other thing that we want to talk about that's, uh, again, also a big deal. Um, there's been lots of questions about this, is basic med. Basic um, med. You remember we talked about basic med is the new alternative method of compliance for third-class medical. And kind of overnight, people got really, uh, I'll say, scared because... There was a lot of anxiety. Yes, anxiety is a yeah. great word. Yeah. Um, worried about this executive order that President Trump put out basically saying, halt all regulation. Stop now. Yeah, which is a, a common practice for new presidents, thinking that basic med was going to get caught up in that. And some other... Associations might have reported on that yeah. while we actually did more digging. Yeah, so so our legal folks uh, did some digging um, and uh, read the executive order and um, consulted uh, with folks to make sure that we were uh, right about this. And, and everything that we're hearing is that we're going to be okay. Yep, May 1st is still the date that Basic Med will deploy. So that hasn't changed or been pushed back at all. Really, it was more of a procedural uh, perception that people had jumped on to think that that this wouldn't uh, be applied by May first. Yeah. When in fact it will be. Yeah. There's some specific language that uh, referred to the order, which exempted any regulations subject to statutory or judicial deadlines. Hmm. However, the FAA had a statutory deadline of early January 2017. Yes. Already. So okay. it already passed that. Yeah. I mean, we know the rule was out. Right. Um, and I suppose, you know, you could be a little anxious right. uh, sure. about the course or the checklist or the other things that still need to happen. But all indications are that it continues to move, um, that things are looking good, that those pieces will be in place so that pilots can who expire at the end of April yeah. can start taking advantage of this May 1st if they if they choose. And I think that's a good thing for a lot of pilots. We were just talking a little, little while ago about the Rusty Pilot Seminar. Yeah. Which folks, and I've actually talked to you, and I've talked to a lot of people that said they were going to wait till that basic med gets pushed through and, mm-hmm. you know, basically is online at, at the beginning of May. But they're ready to get back in the air. Yeah. And this will really help them do it. It'll spur it right on. And, you know, the, even still, 
getting a medical exam, I didn't think it was that big of a deal for me. Yeah. I think, you know, I spoke earlier. I was a little worried about looking at the eye chart thing. Yeah, yeah. I've had issues with that, too, actually. Yeah. But it, it wasn't so much the chart itself, but it was like this depth this depth test. Yeah. And I think that what I uh, was thinking about is that that varies from, you know, a little bit from doctor to doctor. Mm -hmm. So the basic med thing kind of, I think it'll help us out with that, where there won't be that, that variable involved. We still do have to work on... Uh, meeting the requirements for basic med, yeah. which are not that on onerous. or Is it onerous or onerous? <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, you're good. Okay. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. It's like by having to go see your doctor for a physical um, and by theoretically, you know, I mean, most uh, responsible adults do go to see their doctor anyway. They should. So this, you know, there's nothing here that, that is in any way going to make people less healthy. And so the, the deal is instead of, one time every, in my case, five years, right. uh, in other people's cases, two years, yeah. um, going to see somebody who you have no relationship with mm -hmm. and uh, trying to get some piece of paper. It's like, well, now you can have honest conversations with your doctor all along. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be great. And I'm looking forward to seeing how many people take advantage of it. I think a lot of people will. And actually, we've got some some information on our website that help folks out. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, there's like a fit to fly interactive quiz. You can. There are actually five things you can do. Okay. Uh, Alyssa Miller wrote a little story about this. You can take the Fit to Fly interactive quiz. Okay. You can attend a Rusty Pilot seminar. Yeah. To get ready to go. Yeah, you can do you that. Can, yeah, you can get proficient by flying with an instructor. Mm-hmm. Actually, I wonder if you can get uh, do a little do a little um, flying with someone who might be an IFR pilot and just look out the window for them and kind of yeah you know, get back into absolutely. The seat a little bit. Uh, you can refresh your knowledge with the AOPA Air Safety Institute online course yeah those are free okay and you can read the regulations and advisory circulars so those are the five things you could do to get ready for basic med yeah so basically study up um feel like you're ready to go and then when may 1st rolls around it's like off you go yeah yeah i think that's like off to the races and yeah off to, off to the air again yeah got my wings back <laughs> it's, it's cool it's cool it's it's an exciting time yep let's say one of the things you want to do with your new basic med compliance is go mountain flying Okay. Have you ever have you been mountain flying much? Have you flown just a little much? bit yeah. uh, enough to know enough to get scared by it? Oh, really? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I told this little story about me being in my air cube and taking off from Asheville, North Carolina, at night. Oh yeah. Uh, probably wasn't the best thing to do. Um, and uh, you know, uh, rising terrain, cooler cooler weather ahead, yeah, and clouds popped. Ah. Ouch. But mountain flying would be awesome to know how to do that properly because I know there's a lot to it. Yeah. And even even something simple as knowing where to cross the mountains, yeah, or how. I know there's this. It's amazing because you know you learn very little of this when you take your flight training, um, unless of course you learn in the mountains. But um, for the rest of us, for us flatlanders, it's like you you, you read it in a book, and yeah. you know that's kind of your only exposure. But yet you're you're certified. You're you're allowed to fly in the mountains. You are because you're a pilot. Yeah. So recognizing that a lot of people want more instruction or a better experience. There are people who have popped up who have become sort of mountain flying experts. Mm -hmm. um, and so this week we're talking to Jason Miller, okay. who, by the way, just so happens is a podcast guru. Oh, nice. Uh, his finer points has been out forever. So uh, go on iTunes and check that out. But um, Jason runs a, a really cool, they call it sort of like camp for adults. Mm. And you go, you get about two and a half days of immersive mountain flying with an instructor as a group. It's very approachable. 
Uh, you get seminars at camp at night. Oh, how fun. Get some great food. Oh, man. Make some s'mores around the campfire. Yeah, while you're talking about mountain flying. Oh, and I love so, it. Talking aviation. Yeah, it's really cool. So um, our, our editor, Jill Tallman, uh, went out and flew with Jason and did one of these courses. Oh, man. And, uh, and talked to them uh, now for the podcast. So That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, he'll pro- he probably would have said Dave T., not at night, not in the mountains. <laughs> not, not the first na- time, Not right? in the air coop. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why don't we start by um, having you tell the folks at home a little bit about you? Um, yeah, sure. I am uh, you know, a full-time flight instructor. I've been teaching flying full-time here in the Bay Area for just about the last 20 years. Um, and I realized pretty early on in my career that I love to teach, that for me, teaching is really where it's at. Um, I mean, obviously, I love to fly, but there's so many places you can go in flying from airlines to cargo to corporate to whatever. And, and for me, it was really about helping people understand the thing and Mm -hmm. refining the art of teaching it. Um, I love people and and I love to spend time with people. I love helping them figure out problems. Um, And so really that's been my journey, just kind of refining the art of flight instruction and trying to figure out, you know, people sometimes ask me, how can you teach the same stuff over and over again? And my feeling is like, is it really the same? You know, we're we're always making it different. We're always making it better. And every individual is a unique person. So absolutely. Yeah. And that's really gone into, um, you know, some of like the podcast and uh, working for AOPA and their safety Institute Mm -hmm. and um, doing a lot of local safety seminars and stuff like that. Obviously teaching full time. I've got a load of about nine students at any given time. And um, and the mountain trip that you came on and some of these like, you know, really getting people out into uh, different flying adventures and trying to really raise the bar there, too. Yeah. So you and I got to do some really cool flying uh, this past August. It's certainly unlike anything that I have ever done as a flatlander. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, that's. That's, that was part of the vision of the course, too, was to kind of make it a one-price-fits-all thing and squeeze it into two days so that we might get people flying out for the weekend from, and we've had people from Ohio, Milwaukee, Ontario, you know, um, you came out from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, so really, people are coming from all over. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. I, th- I figured it would be, you know, strictly uh, people from California, but we had people there from Minnesota, um, actually from Canada. And, and me, myself, from Maryland. So we had a really nice mix of people who um, this was their completely first encounter with this kind of uh, flying. Yeah, that's really great. And do you feel like, do you feel now that if you were to you know, take your plane and want to fly out to Denver or, the front, or, you know, get up into the mountains again, do you feel more confident after having taken the course? Absolutely. Um, I would certainly want to sit down and do some real good flight planning before I did that on my own. But um the knowledge that I gained was immense, um, you know, particularly just um, from the whole aspect of um, leading the mixture. You know, I'm one of these fat, dumb, and happy pilots that just throws it, you know, I lean it on the ground to make sure that the uh, spark plugs are not fouled during the year. But I tend to run full boat, you know, and so this was a really good um, introduction to, to actually managing the engine and, and the propeller. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always a surprise. <laughs> you know, even I mean, just you know, the first time you go up to like eight or nine thousand feet, you know, students are always like, "Really, it can come back that far?" <laughs> you know, but but to do it on the ground before you take off, that's a whole different that's a whole different feeling. That's yeah. that's true. When did you start doing these mountain flyouts? 
Um, boy, I don't know the exact year because um, they really evolved. Like, you know, I've done a lot of them for other organizations like the San Carlos Flight Center or different flight schools throughout in the Bay Area, even before the Flight Center existed. Just, you know, people would say, hey, we're putting a group together. We're going out to Idaho. We're going to Colorado. We're going to Seattle. Um, and so I was doing a lot of instruction. And then I just... In, in the loose format of all that, I just saw a lot of opportunity to improve it. You know, I mean, nobody was really designing the course. It was just a lot of pilots going to get an experience. And if the CFI in your plane was good, then you're going to learn something. If not, you won't, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll learn it on your own. Sure. So, you know, so I, we, I just, after doing so many of those, um, and then really meeting Howard Donner as my partner in these and watching what he does for doctors, um, not related to flying, um, I just saw an opportunity to kind of marry those two things together, you know, get some of his resources in terms of the outfitters and the people are going to come out and provide food mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. And then really just, you know, forget all the casinos and stuff like that, because a lot of the trips, you know, after you land, everyone just goes to the restaurant and then to the bar and then oh, wherever, no, no, you know. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, no. Right. this was much better. Um, I have no desire yeah. to go to the, to the casinos. I mean, when, when you got all that beautiful country to see and uh, right. why would you want to spend one minute inside of a casino? I agree completely. <laughs> so, yeah, and then I, and I really think there's an educational thing too. The first time you sleep out in those trees, you know, you think about it. The next time you fly over them, especially in the winter, and you're looking down and seeing that snow, you remember, you know, what your toes felt like at four in the morning. Exactly. Um, yeah. I I did not pack enough warm clothes. Uh, <laughs> I tend, oh boy. Uh -oh. I tend to, I tend to think of Maryland in the summer in August, and I one night I put on everything I brought <laughs> just oh, so yeah. I could sleep but i had a good i had the tent i had the good sleeping bag so it was all good but um you know that that the camping aspect was was uh was great fun yeah it is fun and i think yeah that is a surprise i mean i would say like boy at night it must feel like like mid to late october in maryland you know i mean it yes. gets down it gets cold yes yeah. but it just made you appreciate the coffee the next morning all the more boy <laughs> yeah, there is that kind of Boy Scouts feel to it all, or Girl Scouts feel. You know? There is, but you know, I'm I'm not um, I'm not a, a fan of camping. But you know, the, mm -hmm. the nice people you had um, fixing meals, they they made it quite worthwhile. Yeah, you know, there and that's like um, that's Bobo, and they're really professional outfitters. In um, they have land in Chile and. They work with Howard and all these, you know, uh, on these river trips and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. when they're not here, they're leading expeditions in South America. So they're really like it's what they do. They're professionals at it. Right. And they make it look they make it look easy. But we've tried other people in the past, and believe me, that they're really good. They have it down to the science. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And and Howard's uh, presentations were phenomenal. I think he was a great pick for you to partner with. Yeah, he's he's a real one of a kind teacher. You know, he, I think he, like myself, just really loves the art of teaching and, uh, he's, he's really sought after. I mean, he leads, uh, sailing trips to Fiji uh, through the Mediterranean. He does treks in Nepal. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, he, he's just all over the, all over the world doing this stuff. It's really what he's dedicated his life to. And he's a, a commercial pilot. So he started listening to the podcast and that's how we met. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he called me one day and said, I love your podcast. And that's how we met. He um, he did mention that you know he 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 teaches survival skills to doctors and um, he he will take a week to do that and um, so we didn't have a week obviously but uh, the information that he provided was was really good really salient um, and really thought provoking 
uh, especially, you know, uh, he was talking about um, about packing dog food and, and guinea pig food um, so that you don't eat it. So you're not tempted to eat it if you should be downed and, you know, have to wait for assistance and not be tempted to eat it right away. And I, so I put that in the article and some one of the editors wrote, is this a joke? And I was like, I'm pretty sure, no, it was not a joke. Yeah, no, it's not. It's actually one of those things that's born of experience. And the first time Howard told that to me, I just laughed because he's right. I think I've eaten every power bar I've ever <laughs> stashed in my in my survival kit at one point or another. You know, so I, it's just a practical matter. Um, and, I, and I think you're right. It's really the I mean, you know, all we can do in two days is, you know, we can teach some skills. We can, lead, you know, send everybody out the survival kit. But I think even just provoking that thought is important. And uh, this winter, after our after the trip you came on, we lost another pilot right up where we were camping. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, in Desolation Wilderness. And he was trying to sneak through there in, the, in low clouds. And he'd oh. done it 100 times before and blah, blah, blah. But he, he survived the crash. Mm. And ended up dying with the plane because he had no flight plan, oh. no survival kit, you know. So, you know, even if we can just get people to think about it a little differently um, and just get started on that journey toward <laughs> being a more conscientious planner, that, that would be a success. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, it's just not a part of the country to mess around with. Um, I was a more than a little intimidated as we were flying through there um, because that's how my mind works. It's, it's like, where would I go? Where would I land? And they're just don't seem to be that many places but I guess as you become more comfortable with that area you start looking and developing a feel for where you might be able to land yeah that's true it's true and um you know like any any kind of flying you know the more you do it um so certainly when we're up there looking down on some of those meadows I mean I feel comfortable Mm -hmm. you know that we could glide into one of those but there are definitely points where there is there isn't an out and um, you know, I'm always teaching pilots to be aware of your outs. And even when you don't have one, because it's not often very long, but for 15 or 20 seconds, you might say to yourself, you know, for this 15 or 20 seconds, I'm not going to have an out. And is that okay? Right. Just being aware of it, I think is step one. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I remember you talking about how you, um, you took a flight early, earlier, much earlier in your flying career. And I think you were in a diamond. All of a sudden you started thinking about what would happen. Yeah, I mean, boy, not just one. <laughs> there have been a few of those, but I think the flight you may be thinking of was, um, uh, I may have talked about it in, in terms of contingency planning, right. because I remember I remember being over the desert, very, very remote. Um, it was 2004, maybe something like mm-hmm. that. So you just have to imagine back to when cell, cell towers were not so prevalent or everywhere. Right. Um, there was no cell service. And I was feeling really proud of myself looking down saying, I could land this thing anywhere if my engine fails. And that's when I realized I had barely any water at all. And then I started, you know, I started to really think that through no flight plan, no cell phone, no water, the desert. Who cares about a good landing, you know? Right. Um, And so really just trying to get real about the contingency planning. What am I flying over and what are my real options in the event of, you know, something going wrong? Mm -hmm. When you take these kinds of trips, um, obviously you're dealing with pilots who are, looking for this kind of challenge, what do they lack about flying in this part of the country? You know, it's not, it's not that complicated, you know, what they lack, what mm-hmm. they need to learn. You know, I think, you, you know, you were there. So in two days, we try to give everybody a broad overview of what you need to learn and understand. But I think it's just helping people do that. You know, it's like getting a local checkout. You know, if you go to a new city you've never been to, you, you, you can make the step of, say, calling a local flight school, finding a CFI, even on the phone and just saying, hey, is there anything I should know? 
before I come down there and fly through Miami or, right. or whatever it is, you know, and that's probably a wise thing to do. And so I would say like a course like this is, or, you know, something like this is, is a very, very wise step. If you're going to come fly over the mountains, could you read a book? Could you kind of figure it out, plan conservatively? Maybe, probably, you know, I yeah. don't know. But the wise step would be to come and get some local education, um, talk to the people who know what's going on out there. You know, we know that we lost a plane this winter. We can talk to you about what happened and why it went down and that kind of stuff. And right. if, you know, if people aren't taking a moment to really go a little deeper there, then, you know, they could be asking for trouble. Right. Um, you had some really great CFIs on the trip, um, including uh, Sarah who is a experienced CFI and also is a native or is a resident of, of the Truckee area. So she knows the area really well. Yeah. Sarah's uh, something else, but, and, and you're right. We, uh, that has been honestly a surprise to me. And one of my biggest joys of this whole uh, trip experience, putting these things together is that just having taught in the Bay area for so long, when somebody calls me and says, hi, my name is so-and-so and I fly a Cessna 185, you know, I'm thinking about doing your course, immediately I know who they should be with. <laughs> I just think, you know, even if I haven't talked to that person in four years, I'll like Mike Corklin, for example, who was our Bonanza instructor. I mean, right. Mike must have 10,000 hours in Bonanzas alone, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, the guy's like the Bonanza guy, right? right? And so when we found out we had a client with an A36, I called Mike. I hadn't talked to him in years. I said, what are you doing this summer? You know, I, I have this great trip I want you to come on um and sarah too you know she's like howard she's a true adventurer when she's not flying in Truckee, she's leading ski trips to antarctica she's doing ice axe climbing you know i mean she's a real she's a real adventurer wow and and yeah. um and mike you mentioned mike and he actually gave you your mountain checkout isn't that right yeah yeah so that was so much fun to have yeah. him up there but yeah he did he was one of my mentors um, and then he went to work for Japan Airlines and he was teaching a lot, all those guys to fly mm -hmm. in A36s, which was kind of how he got all that time. But yeah, he's, you know, he, like myself, he's been a role model. He's a career flight instructor and just one of these um, gems of a person that you'll find who knows so much about so many things. Yeah. I always learn from Mike. He's always in good spirits. And it was so much fun for me to have him on the trip because you're right. He was my, he was my instructor. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Just, uh, just top notch personnel on the trip. You know, we almost we had kind of a little adventure um, coming out of the Bay Area on top of the rest of our adventurous weekend um, for, <laughs> for for pilots who are not familiar with flying in that airspace. It it really takes things up a notch. It's interesting, yeah. You know, that one I need to probably spend some time thinking about because you're not the only one to say that. And and I think that was a little lost on me because I fly out of San Carlos every day. And it's been a bit of a surprise to see how much that is. Um, but maybe we'll spend a little bit more time talking about it before we go so it's not so overwhelming. <laughs> um, was it just like a total blur getting out of there to you? It was. And I've actually had, had flown and um, done like a San Francisco tour like two years earlier. And I was, I guess I just kind of blanked it out of my memory as to, you know, the, the rapid fire controllers. Um, you know, I knew that you kind of have to fly right under the route for the, the airplanes coming into San Francisco International. But man. <laughs> yeah yeah right no i know it's a lot i mean you're coming out of a class delta you're underneath bravo mm -hmm. and you're headed to go in between two different charlies and under the bravo i mean it's pretty it's pretty intense sure but yeah often we just kind of uh, deal with it as we go with the students and maybe it's worth taking a moment and 
discussing. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make a note of that, Jill. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps in the briefing. Who knows? Yeah, um, right. We, but that's yeah. that's one you know that's one good reason to have you know one of your great CFIs in the right seat because you know nothing's going to happen. But um, it was it was uh, quite eye opening. So, yeah. So talk a little bit about um, you've got another mountain flying trip coming up in 2017. Yeah, we're hoping to run three of them this year. Um, you know, we're not exactly sure. We don't. We have the first one again in June. Um, we always do a June and an August, but we're going to try to add a July. And um, the first one is is just about half full so far. So, okay. You know, the, sp- the, the spots are, are selling, which is great. We're looking also at the possibility of opening up a couple more. We don't have any firm plans yet. I mean, a couple different kinds of trips, like maybe one to the, you know, go see the canyons of the Southwest mm-hmm. and perhaps one up into the Channel or the San Juan Islands and the Pacific Northwest. That um, and, that one is the one that I'm sort of psyched about. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Well, they're, they're definitely in the queue uh, and we're doing the research we need to do now. I mean, I think our mentality is let's let's continue to perfect the, the mountain trip mm-hmm. and then let's try to kind of stamp out that. That model and you know sometimes it's tricky like we have to pick places that have very predictable weather yeah um you know it, it would be my dream to do one around the great lakes but it's very difficult i've looked at it so many times to try to figure out how to get it done i don't know how you would do it honestly. it's hard yeah, yeah it's hard but anyway you know the desert and the, and the pacific northwest for a week or two are pretty predictable so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness for that <laughs> right right um and by the way i'm sure you guys will have this but um when those trips, you know, get get launched, all that information will be at adventure.learnthefinerpoints.com, which is, you know, our website's learnthefinerpoints.com. So there'll be a link to all the adventure stuff there. Oh, good. Thank you for reminding me. Did of you that. want me to say anything about Steve and the videos? I would love that. So yeah, in 2014, Steve Thorne and the Flight Chops crew came out <clears throat> and um, and did the trip with us, and they ended up getting like 10 or 11 videos, which are all on their YouTube channel. I think you have to kind of go down in the middle of the page. It says mountain flying. Um, but they did such a great job. I mean, I mean, I called Steve like after I saw a few of them, and I'm like, "Man, you're giving away the store." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, because really, it's the closest thing to actually being on the trip. It was just really fun to watch them work. It's not just Steve; it's Steve and and two other people on his crew, and they're all professionals. Um, and you know, uh, James, his director, was able to get really the best performances out of Howard and out of myself without making us feel like there's a camera in our face. And, yeah, no kidding. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of really good stuff, and that's a big part of the reason why we're getting people from the Midwest and the East coast and Canada, you know, so I had more than one person say that they had seen it on flight chops. And so if you were worried about him giving away the store, I don't think you have any worries because I think, (laughs) you know, Steve, Steve just made people just lit a fire under people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I get that. And and that's great. So, so hopefully, yeah, when we launch the other ones, they'll come on those as well and, and we'll just keep, keep it going. Can't wait to see that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Jill. I appreciate uh, you, being Jason. on the podcast. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. And, and I really appreciate it for both you guys uh, for doing this whole thing. Oh, no. To, you know, for agreeing to come along. Oh, my gosh. The trip and the article, the whole thing. It's really oh, great. well, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, I wasn't kidding when I said it was unlike anything I've, any kind of flying I've done. And um, my daughter, who loves to travel, was like beside herself when she was looking at the pictures. And she was just like, I want you know, so. <laughs> awesome. Well. All right. Well, you have a great day. And I hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Joe. You too. All right. Bye-bye.
All right, David. So what do you think? So would you, um, I don't know, now now hearing a little bit of Jason and knowing about mountain flying, you think you'd be safer going in with that air coop this time? I'd be a lot more prepared. Yeah. I'd know what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, that it, it's, a, it's a welcome course for anyone. I'd be excited to take that course myself. Yeah. Absolutely. We got yeah. mountains near us here in uh, Frederick. I know. I know. Right it's outside like, the window. I know. You know, Jason might say, ah, those aren't mountains. And people in Colorado might say, ah, they're not mountains. But, you know, the Appalachians... They, they do make their own weather pattern at They times. do. They can throw off some funky waves. Yeah, we got a little snow today. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for us this week. Uh, I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Find us on aopa.org slash hangertalk. Email us at hangertalk at aopa.org. Don't forget, we're now on iTunes and at Sporty's Takeoff app. All right. Thanks, David. We'll see you next time. See you next time for Hangertalk, Ian. Oh!